Welcome back to <sighs> Remote Free Advice number two. <laughs> yes. Quarantined. Yeah. Mean and lean, mean and quarantined. How many episodes do you think we'll do like this? Do you have a prediction? Oof, that's a good question. Bold question. I know. Um, I'm going to say eight. I was going to say 16. Okay, I don't like either of those odds. I don't like I don't really uh, like the answer no matter what the number is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. To be honest. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, whatever. It it's going to be what it's going to be whether we like it or not. Indeed. And this works. I mean, yeah, you heard the rave reviews does. about the last episode. This is <laughs> a format that Loud people are grateful for and no one's made yeah. any complaints about this being inferior to the episodes that we record when we're in person face to face. Yes. The track record so far is one for one. Yeah. Smashed it. <laughs> oh, so do you want to get right into the questions or do we want to share anything about how how we are doing in this climate? Mm, I'll share. Um, I had a more positive experience on Zoom than I have had on Google Hangouts. So if you haven't yet made the Ooh. Zoom switch, download Zoom, get on that. Um, promo code advice. <laughs> yeah, promo code free advice. Also, you can buy your Burning Man tickets for a hundred dollar discount if you uh, put in your coupon free advice on the Burning Man website. So. <laughs> um, what a great joke! Yeah, thanks. what a small percentage hitter joke. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I've experienced more distant cancellations. Uh, things in mm. June. The Olympics were going to be All this the summer. Way up they to got June. June and even wow. August. So June was going to be the Hollywood yeah. Fringe Festival. I was planning on doing mm -hmm. my one man show there for three performances. That has been postponed till October, and um, that kind of made me excited that oh maybe I could write a new show in that time and debut that in October. I Whoa. feel like I got a second shot at that deadline. However, I'm not that confident that it will actually happen in October either. Um, <laughs> yeah, to be. Uh, and then in August, I was going to go to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and that hasn't been officially canceled yet, but I think that um, my group that I was going to travel with has to decide whether to invest the funds in that or not, and it looks like we're going to have to guess that it's not happening. So it's yeah. not happening for me either way. <sighs> That's a bucket of bummers. You know, um, it also is a bunch of open windows with all those closed doors. All right. I get to pick something new. 100%. And I don't have it all figured out yet, but I feel like I'm in a good place to figure something like that out now. I've had yeah. my week of freak out and uh, loneliness and anxiety and self-soothing. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like, okay, this is cool. It'll come back. It comes in waves, but. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I've thought about broadly like, uh, do, how am I reevaluating my coaching business? How am I thinking about my music? Um, what are the things that I want to dedicate time regularly to working on and working through? I ordered mm -hmm. a 
an adult piano lesson book. Hey. I haven't formally studied piano since <laughs> I was like 13. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that's going to be fun to unrest myself at. I think, I hope gets delivered on Thursday. Very excited. I've been still doing guitar lessons. That's I, been humbling. I'd love um, for you to find a piano drill and teach it to me uh, via yeah. video chat, and I'll teach you one. And then, um, yeah, we can share exercises like that. Or you can think of a, a song or a melody as an exercise, too. It doesn't have to be like super formulaic sure. and just an athletic maneuver. Yeah, I think that's great. This is the the thing that I want to like jump off into is like mm-hmm. there are so many amazing and right now especially free resources for things you can learn online mm-hmm. uh like i believe it's yale has a course online about the science of happiness mm-hmm. i uh it's totally free it's on coursera and i was supposed to start it today but ended up doing my doomsday trip to target instead um but I'll let you know. I'll report back on that if I, with any extremely good findings or just like moderately I already, good findings. I already findings. know what's going to be in there. Yeah, you do? You want to teach it? Yeah, I took a positive psychology course in Denmark um, mm. in college, and I'm honestly not that into this branch of psychology. It feels a little <laughs> I hope it's not all about positive psychology because I really don't like positive psychology either. <laughs> yeah, it, it's okay. I mean... It's a good framework. It's just there's not um, that much for me to dig into. It, it could have been quicker. I could have just learned those things, mm. I think, and doesn't feel super deep. Um, biggest takeaway was happiness isn't a great goal. Well-being is a more all-encompassing term to shoot for. Like, like there's something wrong with you if you're always experiencing the emotion of happiness. Um, that's not a, a thing to shoot for. Like you should have uh, emotional volatility to react to varying circumstances and then adjust to a new baseline and then, you know, feel anger when something is betrayed, sadness when something is lost, fear when there's a threat. Yeah. Um, but well-being is uh, defined by this PERMA acronym of positive emotions like happiness, um, engagement, like feeling a flow state, feeling very involved in whatever you do, uh, relationships with other people. Um, meaning, some sense of what you do matters and affects things outside of yourself, and a sense of accomplishment, uh, pride that, oh yeah, I did that. Those five mm-hmm. things um, are the factors of well-being, and that's what I remember from that. Yeah, I think that's an amazing little tool. I I'm definitely hoping that this course addresses some of those things um, because I I'm always looking for and talking about ways to both expand and kind of sink more into individual moments of well-being or happiness however you mm-hmm. define it I think that like we have often an issue where you know we're perpetually climbing a mountain and we don't stop to enjoy the peak or the vistas along the way you know mm-hmm. it's just like okay what's the next mountain? And that that's a sort of chronic issue um, in in this modern world that we live in, where it's more about consuming or achieving the next thing rather than soaking up the the good stuff of the now. Yeah. But who knows? 
<laughs> who knows? Yeah. What are the best ways to uh, be present or make a habit of enjoying the now? Yeah. So um, I, I've watched a talk from, um, I believe he's a psychologist, um, Dr. Rick Hansen. He has talked about how to kind of rewire your brain to do that specifically, like to mm-hmm. uh, train yourself to basically enjoy and release more good chemicals when you are doing things that you want to build into your practice. Like, so for example, if you're, if you're trying to work out more, reminding yourself before you work out, like, yeah, I'm about to work out. This is going to feel really good. And yeah. sort of telling, giving yourself that messaging for, you know, several seconds mm-hmm. at least, um, at least maybe like 15, even just, you know, this is going to be so great. Um, I'm looking forward to how I'm going to feel while I'm doing it and how I'm going to feel when I'm uh, done. And then while you're doing it, same exact thing, telling yourself, like noticing the things that feel good about it. Like, Mm -hmm. wow, it feels really good that my heart is beating this fast. I feel this sense of freedom or um, this sense of possibility or accomplishment while you're doing it. And, and, you know, noticing the physiological, um, just physiologically what's going on in your body that feels good. And then Mm -hmm. once you complete the workout, saying to yourself, wow, that was so great because, you know, it feels good for X, Y, and Z reasons, all the same things, just to basically build those new tracks into your brain that remind you of how good things are because it counters what we do naturally kind of without any deliberate conscious changing, uh, which is negative, steeping ourselves in worry, steeping ourselves in, um, just negative thinking that 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 comes naturally to us because it's part of our evolutionary programming but if we want to enjoy ourselves more and and motivate ourselves to more easily do activities that are good for us we have to override those systems by uh really making conscious efforts to think about what's positive yeah and that's i think that's a great and you know scientifically backed way of of making those things easier in the future by building that into your practice. Um, but I, I always have somewhat of a critique of some of these things. And my critique of positive psychology is kind of similar, which is like when I've been extremely depressed in my life and had no motivation to do anything, none of these things are helpful at all (laughs) because it's like just another thing, you know, you're not going to be able to do. And it's more discouraging. and, And the more like, here's a simple way to do this or that, like Mm -hmm. just felt like another thing I knew I wasn't going to be able to do and was a new way I could beat myself up for not even being able to do the smallest of things. Um, And I positive, a a, a positive psychology book, um, which I don't remember the name of right now. uh, I want to say the author was I don't even want to say anything because I'm not sure, but I was recommended a positive psychology book by my dad in just the absolute height of a depressive pit that I was in, in like 2017, Mm -hmm. uh, when I got out of grad school and was burning out at my first job. And I just found it so infuriating and inapplicable because it, it was, it felt like that same energy of just like, well, just like will yourself to be positive and then things are going to be so great because da, 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 da. And it was kind of just like, fuck you. It was my mm-hmm. basic response to that. Um, it felt invalidating, which was 
you know, how I think a lot of, a lot of people kind of end up on that spectrum of depression where their feelings were chronically invalidated and, and minimized. And so a, another approach that's saying the same things of like, well, it should, you know, you, sh- you should just do this easy thing and just be positive like the rest of us, even though that's not exactly what they're saying, it still feels that way. And it just is like, made, made me frustrated or sort of more hopeless. Yeah. I think, uh, uh, a gratitude practice can be like uh, a, sor- a source of disgust if mm-hmm. you're in a place where you're not feeling mm-hmm. grateful for things. Um, yeah. And so something that like a, a hack to get around that could be something that I did on the phone with my friend Alpha the other day. Um, he was telling me specific health things that aren't wrong with him and what he was grateful for about them. Like he was grateful to not have mm. a clogged nose or I <laughs> was like, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful yeah. to not be really sunburnt right now. Like that feeling of just my skin <laughs> peeling and being super hot. Um, yeah. Sometimes I'll like, you know, at a moment where I've decided that I'm going to have a routine gratitude I'll just say like, I'm grateful for my health, but that doesn't really mean much to me right? until right. I think about like, okay, what has gone wrong with health. my health before? I'm glad that I don't yeah. really have to shit right now. I don't have that feeling of like, <laughs> oh my God, where is the toilet? <laughs> like, that's a terrible feeling. And yeah. um, so that exercise could be like a little bit, of, it allows you to look at negative things and um, right. If you're in a negative state of mind, that might be more appealing to to do it that way rather than thinking about like, oh, I should be just happy for this broad category of health. You know, what yeah. am I doing with it though? I have um, pretty constant neck pain or at, the, at yeah. the least discomfort. And I had a moment like last week where I just kind of realized like I moved my neck around and I was like, Oh my God, my neck doesn't hurt right now. Mm. And I, I actually was like, wow, let me take time and like appreciate this. Like, holy shit. Cause I so rarely have this experience. Um, and so I just kind of moved it around and was like, yeah, go me. And then sure enough, like, you know, a couple days later I checked in with that and realized, oh, okay, yeah, my neck now is hurting. And I'm, but I was glad at least, and I'm not, and I should say that I'm not in a super depressed state right now. So it was easy for me to not be so bogged down by this, but I was like, okay, like, you know, I'm glad that I took that moment of appreciating when my neck felt good. Mm-hmm. And I often find that as someone who, you know, frequently goes in and out of depression to different extents, like it is so important to take stock of the times when things don't feel as heavy, when things, everything doesn't feel like a huge mountain. You find yourself just kind of easily washing the dishes or um, some other task that that ordinarily you, you can't complete because then when you are feeling completely hopeless uh you can remember to some extent that okay it feels like this right now and it does feel like i'm here a lot but i'm not always here there Mm -hmm. is there exists a life that is different from this um and so even if it's like those moments are few and far between it's still of just critical importance to be in them when you're in them yeah yeah um, cool. I'm appreciating love, doing this right now. Yeah. Being on the podcast. Oh, that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. I also appreciate this. I'm really glad that this is something that we do at all. I'm really glad that we get to 
talk to other people and talk to each other about things that we care about and share our knowledge mm-hmm. and share our personal experience. And, you know, it's just a bonus if someone aside from us likes it too. I like um, it when you laugh at my jokes. That's probably the for me. <laughs> Aww. That, was, that wasn't a joke. That was, I don't know why you laughed at that. That one fell down. <laughs> oh, sorry. Well, I don't take it back. I don't take my joy back. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, this is a kind of similar question, if you don't mind. Good. Just no, do it. going right for Give the question. Um, this comes to us from Reddit user Lonely Girl... Lily, Lonely Girl Lily, mm-hmm. kind of hard to tell what they were going for there, 76. Um, how should I increase my self-esteem? The thing is that at the moment, I can't stand looking in the mirror because all I see is my disgusting face and I feel repulsed towards myself. I stopped speaking with people at school and being active in class because I feel so ugly and gross that I don't want people to look at me because I feel like I disgust people with my presence. Whenever someone looks at me, I feel like they're thinking of how ugly and pathetic and stupid I am. So that made me try not to attract attention to myself just so that I won't be judged. Mm -hmm. I know it might sound stupid, but it's just how I feel. I feel so much hatred towards myself and I don't know how to stop it. Thanks for reading this. Have a great day or evening. I just, she just sounds so sweet. I just feel a lot of pain for that experience. I've, I've been there. Yeah, that sounds really tough. Um, my advice is you're going to need a pencil and paper, not your, your phone's note writing app. Um, Mm. and you can write down anything that you dislike about yourself and you can write down how you feel about those qualities. Um, and, uh, to start with a place of self-acceptance that that's what you feel and that's, those are feelings that will be in flux. Those are not who you are. Those are just things that are a temporary uh, experience, like that time that you were out in the cold and um, you couldn't wait to get back inside where it was warm, and then you did, and then you weren't cold anymore. Um, so just seeing those things on a piece of paper outside of your body, I think, is a great first step. Um, and then I would say, like, there is a list of things that you have control over and a list of things that you don't. And if you could pick something from the list of things that you have control over, um, maybe start by looking at what you admire about other people. What's something that you envy uh, in someone else? Or or what is the opposite of something that you dislike about yourself? And then what mm. on that list of things that you do, you can change, what's the smallest thing that you could do to step in the direction of that change maybe it's um you admire children who do sidewalk chalk murals maybe you just (laughs) want to buy some chalk or maybe you want to draw a single flower on a piece of cement and then look at it if that would bring you joy to have decorated a a public space and um, make other people happy perhaps but when they see that a little bit of beauty in a world that is otherwise gray that is a great first step. And then you build with that and you just keep taking steps. And then eventually you've run a marathon and you love yourself. <laughs> um, I, uh, I want to start my kind of response with a little bit as I often do of like, just being like, yeah, I've been there. It fucking sucks. I used to 
Um, I used to think I was the absolute ugliest person on the planet with no exception. I would stare at myself in the mirror and just nitpick over and over and over again and just cry and just be angry and sad and hate everything about myself and just wish I could just be transplanted into anyone else's body or mind just to get out of the internal hellhole that I <laughs> viewed myself as. Um, and this this was a pretty um, consistent place that I was from maybe 12 or 13 until uh, the very end of high school or college. What changed? I was very, um, what changed at, in college? Whenever you started to feel differently. Um, that's a good question. I, I think some of it was, uh, having hope for something else, like getting into college and knowing that I'd be leaving the house, leaving my parents. Um, and just, I wasn't necessarily like optimistic that I would be a like be seen completely differently or I would feel completely differently, but I just knew that that change of environment was going to be something that felt incredibly liberating for me. And it certainly was. Um, cause I think I, I felt very confined socially and emotionally at home and, you know, in a smallish town as an only child, um, of two older parents and in a small school that was very intense and, so I, I was just always kind of in in this like fishbowl slash under a microscope of judging myself extremely harshly and feeling like I wasn't okay unless I could be this extremely rigid, read, unattainable standard of beauty or achievement or whatever the fuck. Basically, I just had created this internal world where nothing was nothing was okay, nothing was good enough, and that was it. Um, you know, I had specific things that I really hated. I hated my nose. I hated my legs. I hated my eyebrows. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of what else. I, I mean, I, I hated the whole look, <laughs> the whole picture. Um, <laughs> but I did have a couple of specific things that I liked. I liked my eyes, like literally just the color of my eyes, my irises. And I liked my feet and that was it. But other, I was, I was like, you know, otherwise disgusting and, you know, poor anyone who would have to look at me. You know, I, I had a lot of similar feelings. Um, and I think that there were, it was a combination of just the passage of time and, and other things becoming more important to me, but that, that ultimately kind of allowed me to get some space from that enough space to realize like, Oh, okay. Like this isn't how everyone sees me, and I'm a, I can buy into that, and I can distrust my own perception of myself because my own perception of myself is informed by um, this totally distorted uh, vision of how I needed to be. Um, and what was the other thing I was going to say? But oh, but the other thing is that so I have a client who is is going through this right now too, um, and she's in that sort of adolescent pre adolescent stage, and it's difficult because you can't 
talk someone out of feeling that way about themselves. You know, you can't because because, again, it's the same issue of it's invalidating, it's diminishing and it doesn't help. That person isn't you, you're not going to say like, no, stop it. You're being silly. You're beautiful. And that person's going to go, oh, duh, you're right. And just get up and be fine. Um, you have to validate that experience that you're having and say, you know, kind of almost be willing to be two different people at once. First, the the version of yourself that says, you know, okay, I understand that this is where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. This is how I feel about myself. And it's excruciating. It's extremely uncomfortable because it creates this intense, uh, all over your body feeling of self-consciousness and just wanting more than anything to just disappear off the face of the earth so that you didn't have to think about yourself. No one else had to think about you and be burdened by you or, you know, see how ugly you were or any of that shit. I remember, I remember just in like high school being like being in class and I, I felt like I was just in physical pain being so frozen by not wanting to move in any direction or say anything because it just, every single thing was something to be so incredibly self-conscious about. Um, and it was just day in and day out and day in and day out of that. Um, and it fucking sucked. Um, but you can, so you can hold that in your mind. You can, you can acknowledge that right now I am partially the self that feels this way. Um, and, and don't discredit your emotional experience of, of the, how horrible it is to have that feeling about yourself. And then you can also be the self that is observing that to be the case. And this is sort of the basics of a mindfulness practice, which is that there's this version of yourself that is very deeply in the problem you're experiencing and in the emotions that come with that problem. And then you're also the self, if you can be outside of it enough to recognize that that self is there and that the self that's observing it is somehow different or separate, that's where you can start to build on, um, okay, well, what else is what else is this more neutral observer self aware of? And that's where you can, what I've, what I've encouraged this client to do first was similar to what you recommended Rob of, of writing a list, both a list of the things they dislike about themselves and a thing and the things that they're willing to say that they like about themselves. Cause often there are a handful of things. Like for me, I had a couple parts of my body that were, were untouched by this, um, by this feeling of disgust and self-loathing. Um, and then, I encouraged her to um, sort of craft a, 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 a mix and match together different qualities of people in this person's life that they liked and like looked up to, um, like someone in their life who was a really good listener, someone who in their life who was really honest, someone who they admired for, you know, X, Y, or Z or felt really comfortable with. And then imagine that external persona that's all things kind and uh, and loving and compassionate and try to open themselves up to being able to see themselves through that person's lens. And meanwhile, knowing that, of course, there's this self that I am that is it's very uncomfortable to even acknowledge that there might be um, not truth to what I'm saying about myself, but also be able to see, okay, well, I bet so-and-so wouldn't tell me that I was ugly. Um, and so just 
playing with shifting the weight between those different perspectives and giving yourself somewhat of a vacation from the nonstop torture that you're enduring yourself. And that's where sort of building those seeds of self-esteem can, can start to come from if they can't come from just you. It's, it's still coming from just you, but it's this internal conception you have of, of someone who isn't you that's more objective, that's more loving, um, that you can let yourself buy into to a greater and greater extent as you distance yourself from uh, or be- as you become more willing to believe or doubt, really, your self-perception. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not an easy journey and it takes a lot of time to build and to to have faith in that, that the alternative might be true. But you will get there. You will get there. I uh, want to offer Dr. Mark Leary. He's a psychologist at Duke. Uh, his definition of self-esteem is that it's just a meter that measures your current perceived level of acceptance or rejection from the people around you. And mm. he says that... Um, Low self-esteem or high self-esteem are not inherently wrong. It's when somebody's meter is broken and they're always perceiving um, low, they're always perceiving rejection or always perceiving Mm. acceptance despite evidence to the contrary um, or a lack of Mm -hmm. evidence that that's the problem. Um, And he says that the the, the, uh, healthy self-esteem means... um, reading properly the signals from other people about how accepted or rejected you are and then deciding in in accordance with your values, basically like how agreeable of a person are you? Um, Do you want, if you want to raise your self-esteem, if it's too low, then you can either change your behavior or change your surroundings, change the people that are judging Mm. you. And um, it may be difficult to do that. I think that we see a lot of low self-esteem in middle school and high school in particular because people are becoming very aware. The ego is starting to solidify. People are becoming aware of how they yeah. appear in each other's minds and their sexuality is a part of that often, budding, like wanting that type of acceptance from another person and desiring other people and requiring them to desire you back to get. And everyone's insecure. So trying to build their security on insulting each other. Yes. Yes. And people are, are playing around to see how it feels with being mean and see like uh, Mm -hmm. there's, um, there's that immaturity and that black and white thinking of if somebody has one quality that I dislike, they're altogether bad. Or if they've done one thing that I dislike, they're altogether bad. Um, so all of this just Mm -hmm. makes it a perfect storm of suffering, uh, combined with what I was saying Mm -hmm. is the inability to change your circumstances readily. Like, if I was hanging out with a um, like a heavy drinking biker gang that listened to death metal right now, I probably wouldn't be very accepted by them. I, I just think that they wouldn't <laughs> they wouldn't like me as much as my poetry club likes me. Um, right. So I would then change my situation. I would start to go to fewer and fewer biker gang events, and I would start hanging out with people that um, like to play racquetball or whatever. Uh, I feel good about right. my uh, value in that realm. And so without your ability to, to do that as heavily, like it's hard to move or change locations. And it's hard to like distance yourself too much from classmates who are literally occupying the same building as you. So what you can control is, um, 
maybe what extracurriculars you're involved in, what interests uh, you have. And some people will start to reach up or down to grades below or above them to seek new friends who don't already have an impression of them. And I think mm -hmm. sometimes that can be a great way to have like a fresh start of these are people that I don't yeah. already see as rejecting me um, because yeah. they're a couple years older, they don't know me, or a couple years younger. That Those are my ideas of where to start to look for um, the potential of a, a new self-impression. I love that suggestion. I think it's really important, like you did, to call out that for someone in this age group, it's just not as easy to like change your surroundings. Yep. You're often stuck in them. Um, and I love the idea, especially of going younger, because it puts you in a mm -hmm. sort of mentorish role. And, and you can often see yourself a bit in someone younger yes. and see, oh, they're struggling with something that I have surmounted. And if they see me as a role, positive role model, maybe there are more qualities to me that I can start to like. Um, or maybe you you start to understand that, oh, I wouldn't want them to feel the way that I feel about myself, about themselves. So mm -hmm. I could start to I could start to model or talk to myself differently about how I feel about myself, knowing that I don't want them to repeat that. It's a yes. great way of uh, tapping tapping right into that sort of alternate personality, that mm. stronger person that's within you. That seems like one of the most guaranteed ways to boost self-esteem is to help somebody else out with a problem that you can understand and relate to. And then... Um, uh, That's why we're receive here. Receive their gratitude. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cool. Oh. I feel good about our comprehensive answer. Yeah, me too. Lonely girl, I, I really hope that this reaches you and, and that you can start to see slight changes in the way that you see yourself, or at least are willing to believe that they're going to come. Cause from someone who's It'll been change. there, they did for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the next question is another Reddit user, elder bird mother Ooh. 68 asked to come back to work. She is a nurse. Just want advice on how to sort out my feeling on this. My mom is 68, retired nurse, been working with the VA in Houston for many years. Today, she received an email asking her to come back due to COVID-19 and they need more staff. She is really considering going back and have initialized steps in the rehiring process. We have already made known of our fears, but to her, this is the right thing to do. I cannot force her not to go if she fully commits, but it but it can't but I can't stop this fear. Sorry, it's it's a little bit hard to read this. Can't stop this fear and worry that now grips my heart. Oh. She means a lot to my family and I honest to God don't know what to do if something happens to her. I just need help getting through this fear. Yeah, this this reminds me of the dilemma of families of soldiers um mm. when it's a 20-year-old man um there's a different feeling. The soldiers in this war, I, I think, are often 68-year-old retired mothers. And um, mm -hmm. I do. I think that she is at a greater risk if she goes back to work. Yeah. And 
I think it is her choice. She may get a sense. Here's what I would recommend. Ask her with an open mind what her motivation is for doing it. Because I think if you can understand what purpose she's feels or what, what her, um, right. What her perceived benefit is, this may be more important to her than the security of her health. This may be like a calling and, uh, it may be something that she's willing to give her life for. And, um, if you understand that and have those conversations with her, then you don't have to agree with it, um, in order for it to be perhaps even just a little bit more palatable. And it is very hard to let go of control if somebody's doing something that you don't want them to do. Um, but this seems like a a noble cause to me. If somebody mm-hmm. is going to put themselves at risk um, being a nurse, and uh, I don't know her particular situation, but uh, yeah, I'd recommend having that conversation. Yeah, I I want to sort of second some of that and then talk about something else. But I mean, it seems like I I would miss this person, too, because obviously she has a really loving heart and a strong sense of ethics and duty. And so it just sounds like she is such a wonderful person. And I'm really grateful that you have your mom, a mom like this in your life, someone who is that uh, selfless and considerate and. Um, values taking care of people as much as your mom does. So I share in your sense of not wanting to lose her, but also your appreciation of what a wonderful person she is. Um, the other thing that I would say is that, you know, you're saying I, I can't stop this fear and worry. And that's, that's sort of, that's sort of exactly where, um, you know, where you should be with it. it you can't stop it. It's going to be there. You're going to be afraid for her. You're going to be afraid for having to face the reality of your life with her being sick or your life without her even. And that's a terrifying thought. Um, Really sad, really scary. So start with just allowing yourself to feel those feelings and even moving through to, to some extent, maybe an experience of, grief for that possibility because the other reality is we are all going to lose the people that we care about in Mm -hmm. our life. Um, we're all going to lose our parents, hopefully, you know, not the reverse, our parents losing us. Um, and this, this whole threat to everyone's health, especially the, um, you know, the elderly, the, the people who are already, already, um, compromised in some way it's it really brings that to the forefront of just like wow there's a fragile population here and that human life in general is fragile and that is a really scary thought that's that's built into all of the fear and worry you're experiencing just in this acute um dilemma um and i'm sure that the size of this fear and worry and sadness and all these things that as you so poetically say are gripping your heart right now is just feels overwhelming with with this and and everything else going on and all the changes and all the uncertainty it makes sense that this is something that you're struggling to stop or let go of um 
And so I would encourage you to, in as in small doses, um, set aside time for yourself to feel that fear and worry and to, you know, maybe, maybe your mother's even involved in this process, but to kind of comfort yourself just for having such strong, uncomfortable feelings, because as you've said, she's going to do what she needs to do. Um, and it's somewhat up to you to take care of yourself in the wake of that decision and our feelings can often convince us that they they alone will kill us if we experience them in, to too strong of an extent <clears throat> excuse me and this is a really great opportunity for us all all individuals out there to confront our feelings in a deeper way by uh recognizing so there's a great acronym that um a mindfulness teacher, author, speaker that I really love talks about. Her name is Tara Brock, B-R-A-C-H. And she talks about RAIN, the acronym RAIN, R-A-I-N. And the first step is recognize. So you've done that. You're recognizing that you're having these feelings. The A stands for allow. Just let them be. I is investigate. So that is having a with a kind compassionate and body focused lens um to look at okay what does this feeling feel like where is it intense um how would i describe it what's going on here what does it need you know asking any kind of questions that come up um with a with a sort of i'm befriending i'm aiming to befriend this feeling rather than I'm against this feeling and I must root it out because the feeling knows feeling can sense when you're when you want it to go away and then you kind of burn it deeper into yourself by having that antagonistic relationship with it. So as you go about the investigation, the I, you're also you're also feeling around for the N, which is nurture. So what does this feeling want to feel? And often with uh with fear the feeling of fear needs to feel love and so yeah yeah that's okay i kind of just kept talking so um i'll keep going uh the so the n i was saying is nurture and often when the feeling that comes up is fear the type of nurturing that that fear needs is love and so finding a way to invite in some love into that space wherever you're feeling fear in your body um, forces your brain into also a different mode of of operation it's very hard for those things to coexist Um, and so just seeing how you can love yourself in that moment with your fear Um, Because after all, what you're afraid of losing is your mother. You're afraid of losing this person who is the source of comfort and love and nurturing. And the more that you can stretch into your ability to provide that for yourself, the more you can reduce the intensity of that fear and worry to begin with. Um, 
do you have anything that anything else that you want to say about this? Um, I would say make a list of social support for of people mm. that you can talk to uh, about the suffering that um, may come from her going back to work, even from her contemplating it or from her getting mm-hmm. sick or, or her suffering or losing her in some way um, that so some pain is inevitable in this process. And yeah, it's worse if you feel alone and like there is no one that you can share it with. So I hope that you have those people. And if you don't think that you do, I would check older relationships, check Mm. Uh, the people that are on the fringe of now, I don't really think that I could turn to that person. Well, you might not know until you ask. Yeah. And this is a time where I think by and large people are eager for connection and would welcome anyone who kind of comes out of the woodwork from, you know, an old time in their life or maybe someone who you aren't that close to just off being able to, to feel that good feeling of providing support for someone and feel that good feeling of receiving support. Um, mm. And I think that's such a great um, recommendation is to prepare for needing extra support and, and feeling around for who might be able to give you satisfying, comforting support at this time. Right. And that may yeah. be over video chat. Yep. Yep. There are a lot of, there are a lot of options, even, even digitally strangers, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are not off the table now or in other um, times that are non-virus times. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we wish you the best with that and, and look forward to hearing any kind of response that you have or feedback, um, mm-hmm. anything that would help you or had helped you get through by the time, you know, you hear this and write back. Elder Bird. So, uh, do you want to tackle one last question? Sure. What you okay. got? All right. I got something from a username that's just a bunch of characters. Can you so I'm not going to read all of them out. Okay. It's just miscellaneous typed characters. Um, that person asks... Am I an asshole for ordering alcohol to be delivered? This is a throwaway, obviously. Since I placed the order, I've had a pretty bad anxiety reflecting on it. I definitely drink too much and daily, but I don't think quitting cold turkey would make me go into withdrawal. And even if that were the case, I still have enough to taper. I feel bad because I probably have enough to last this out. Everything I have left is just pretty expensive or it's stuff I've been saving for a while. I'm not sick, nor do I have any symptoms. I assume of coronavirus, but I feel bad for initiating social contact for something not necessary. There was no way to to tip online, but I'm definitely going to give a good tip in cash, though I feel a bit bad about this too because they have to handle the cash. Yes, I know I should just stop drinking. So the overall question is, am I an asshole for ordering alcohol to be delivered? I think no. How about you? No too. (laughs) I think no too. But let's talk about why we each think no. Yeah. Um, this is an interesting, uh, distinction that a lot of states have had to look at right now is how do you look at liquor stores? Are they an essential business or not? Um, Mm -hmm. as well as dispensaries. So 
Colorado yeah. had listed liquor stores and dispensaries as non-essential businesses and ordered them to close. And then the stores were rushed, I, I read, um, and just swamped with people, which made the problem worse. So they they <laughs> took it back. Basically, they were like, all right, you guys, you <laughs> Oops, have convinced us this is essential. There are enough of you that care enough about this that like it's creating a bigger mm -hmm. problem, too. Mm. Um, so... Yeah, I think people have different vices, and um, if yeah. yours is alcohol, it may be an important thing. I, I uh, y you seem to know that there are drawbacks to um, leaning on alcohol in this way, and yeah. that's true. Um, as far as delivery, um, I think do your best to minimize contact with that person, so don't hand them the cash, but maybe um, put it in an envelope, like wipe it down with a, a Clorox wipe and then put it in a plastic bag or something and hide that under your rug. And if you want to go the extra mile, um, clean yourself off and then like wipe down the doorknobs in your building. And then the person who's making deliveries anyway, this is probably not the only delivery that they make that day, you've a created a, a path for them that... Um, reduces their risk as much as possible, the fact that they're coming to you. So if you do those things and give them a nice tip, I think you don't need to feel guilty um, for ordering something that's not essential to your survival. There's also the fact that that person has a job delivering things mm -hmm. could be a positive for them in their life right now. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it's still okay to order things online and I would trust the authorities to uh, stop those services for you. I don't think that you have to take on that amount of responsibility, but I think your heart's in the right place for considering it. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I totally agree with um, everything that Rob said. And I want to add on that I think that there's a – we often experience when there's intense emotions around anything, what I'm going to call – emotional seepage which is mm. your emotions about one thing kind of transfer to your emotions about another thing which is like I think some of your guilt about your use of alcohol to cope is seeping into your guilt about interacting with this individual and endangering them mm -hmm. um, I think that both of those make a lot of sense and deserve a lot of compassion um, and I think that you know, you can, you can absolve yourself of, of some of that guilt by doing the practices that Rob suggested of, you know, taking care of the leg of that person's journey as it pertains to you. I think that would, that's really thoughtful and the tip and just everything that you're thinking about, it seems like, you know, you care and that's wonderful. By the way, if you put um, it in an envelope, don't lick the envelope. <laughs> I, I take back the envelope. <laughs> uh, Quick Ziploc addendum bag, on the envelope. Better. Don't look it. <laughs> Wipe down the money, put it in a Ziploc bag. Yeah. Wipe down the bag. Okay. Um, yes. All those things. Um, but I do Venmo think them. that... What? Or just Venmo them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there are alternative uh, methods, but I think most people just want or appreciate cash, although maybe that's a little bit different in these times. Um, but the other thing I want to say is, you know, since you did mention it multiple times in the question, how you're feeling about your own use of alcohol, I think that 
it's important to say that during these times where things are so uncertain and unpredictable and scary, we are all experiencing to some extent a regression or um, sort just sort of uh, we're not we're not necessarily able to access our very best, strongest, most um, independent selves right now. We're all struggling with something, some need, some some way of soothing ourselves, some way of maintaining, quote unquote, normalcy or just, you know, returning to things that maybe we don't feel like this is the best thing for me to be doing. But when you're in pain, it's a lot more appealing and a lot harder to not turn to those things. It's a lot harder to have that resolve. Mm -hmm. And so while I, I certainly don't, you know, endorse alcoholism, <laughs> broadly speaking, um, it's just all of that is just to say that it's understandable that you're needing a coping mechanism that you've used for a long time uh, in, in this time. And maybe this is a time where you, uh, are able to think more consciously about, uh, your reasons for needing this, uh, how much you need and just kind of feeling it out and reevaluating. Maybe this is a great time for that, but for some people it's not for some people, this is a time to get by and that's okay. I want to, um, rephrase it as how much you're choosing to use because mm-hmm. um, saying that you need it mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. disempowers the individual in my mind of of it feeling like, oh, well, this is just something that I have to do and I have to figure out how much sure. I have to have. But as you said yourself, you could choose something else. There would be consequences mm-hmm. and you might not be making an entirely rational um, calculation of, of the pros and con benefit and that's okay too. But I'd like to word it just as how much are you choosing yeah. to use? I appreciate you um, making that adjustment because sometimes I'm 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 trying. I try always when I speak to be very conscious of the language I use. But every once in a while, obviously, you know, we're not perfect. So, mm-hmm. um, yes, I think that ag- acknowledging that not only that this is something that you're struggling to not have right now, but that it is your choice. I think those are two things that can be very hard to hold together in the same breath. Um, but that they are true. Like they're, you're, we are responsible for our choices. Um, but there are some choices that are a lot harder to make and some choices that are mm-hmm. a lot easier to make. And so understanding or investigating perhaps again, sort of similarly, like I advised before, like recognize it, allow it, investigate it with compassion and nurture it, nurture yourself for the feelings that you're having that underlie why you are uh, relying on alcohol to as an antidote to those feelings at the moment. So maybe exploring, you know, what are, uh, what are, what do you notice about yourself when you decide to turn to drinking? Mm-hmm. What's going on? And just, it could be a very hard thing to investigate um, without a major pandemic going on. Um, but I think that starting to walk down the path of getting more conscious about these things is a good path to walk down no matter what vice um, or behavior you are struggling to overcome at the moment. Um, yes. And I, but, I want to yeah. um, 
recommend that if you do decide that uh, your drinking is damaging or just something that you want to stop for any reason, um, mm -hmm. I would recommend looking up an Alcoholics Anonymous group in your area, which I'm sure is not meeting in person right now, but is probably doing virtual sessions. Doing something for sure, yeah. Um, reach out to them. Uh, it might feel weird to meet people in that online setting, but um, you could arrange a phone call with one person then, and then you're offering that person who may be out of work, may be twiddling their thumbs, may mm -hmm. be looking for a purpose, you're giving them somebody that they can help and uh, just creating a connection for somebody who also may not be feeling particularly connected right now. So um, that resource That's is available to you. And I just want to uh, recommend that you look up a, a local one so that um, you could go and meet up in person with these people uh, once the virus uh, has left our shores. Yeah. I think that's such a great recommendation. Um, you know, and I was, I would add to that, of course, like, you know, any kind of, any person that you trust open, being open with them and sharing vulnerability with them, um, or maybe starting a relationship with a therapist virtually, same thing, just someone out there who you feel cares about what you're doing and isn't necessarily there to judge your behavior, but is there to listen to you and to help you wade through the intense experience of deepening your understanding of your relationship to alcohol uh, would just be is critical really for, for anyone who wants to do that work because mm -hmm. addiction is something that is so misunderstood. Um, and it's, it's really hard to, uh, it's it's just it frustrates the hell out of me um, that that people don't understand where addiction comes from and and why it's not as simple as okay well just quit it's a personal choice whatever um, it's it's a response to lacking certain structures in your brain it's a way of self medicating to replace not having internal mechanisms for emotional regulation and, and the, the proper um, attachment frameworks in your brain that are formed very, very young, um, you know, within the first couple weeks of life and, you know, early childhood. And so it is, it's not as simple as it seems. It's not your fault. However, of course, personal choices and responsibility, taking responsibility is extremely important. The The AA model is interesting because it's this um, dual thing of surrendering to a higher power, like surrendering yourself, but also taking more responsibility for your actions. Um, I do think that they there's something to be said about both arms of that approach. But I think that one of the main reasons that AA is successful for, for many people is the community is the, um, having a social element to it and reducing the shame around using the substance, reducing the shame around I'm bad if I do this, or I'm only good if I am not drinking. Um, when we split ourselves into this good and bad self, we create a chasm internally and What's the most important thing for anyone healing from anything, but especially addiction, is to integrate ourselves and to try to feel compassion for all parts of us, even the parts we don't like right now. So 
see if you can introduce little doses of that and also have have compassion for yourself and continue to have compassion for these these other people that come in, in and out of your life as you know as we are in this sick world right now yeah great um yeah. i don't have anything else to say on this topic i don't either <laughs> All right. Do you have anything to say on any other topics? <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. The end of the episode. I'm done. <laughs> um, well, we don't want to like totally leave you guys hanging, but uh, know that you can always reach out to us at freeadvicepodcast at gmail.com with any comments, questions, feedback, whatever the fuck you want. Just a hi, listen advice. to it, that's, liked that's your episode, hated it. Definitely yeah. ask us questions. Yeah, I mean that's that's what we want, obviously, because we want to we want to talk to you guys about the things that you really care about. Those are the juiciest. Um, and want to know the juiciest. Um, but yeah, we welcome any and all uh, responses, especially right now. We want to hear from you. We like if connection an, too. If you're an online uh, marketing startup, I don't want to hear from you. I'm just gonna say that. <laughs> We've gotten a lot of those emails. <laughs> yeah. That's, nah. Unless you guys have a question about like how to pitch your online marketing, how to get your girlfriend on board with your your career change, starting this <laughs> online marketing thing, then sure, great. Email us, but not. You're all just trying to get us to like click your shit. I don't want to. <laughs> fair, fair point. Um. All right, guys. Take care. We'll be back with you one week from today. You know where to find us. And we look forward to it.